So we're here today to continue from yesterday. And I think actually Wolfgang forgot, Wolfgang was the one who first started this whole process months ago when he asked if we could do the body touch of ours. So this is the start of that. So Wolfgang asked, but then he forgot to come yesterday. So are you here today, Wolfgang? He's here, I can't see. Anyway, he was the one who started. Yes, hello. Thank you, Wolfgang, for requesting. And I'm sorry you missed yesterday. There you go. Hi. So what, I mean, what I thought, so what we did yesterday, what we did yesterday was take the, we, we had a bit of preparation, a bit of introduction, then we took the, the, lay, the, the took refuge and took lay vows, and then we did the preparation, the two days of His Holiness, and always his first day with His Holiness, it's preparation. So in the end, he, he gave us the lay vows as well as His Holiness gave us the Bodhisattva vows. But it's very brief when you do it within an empowerment. So I thought today, as I mentioned yesterday, briefly, we will go anyway, and that will be for Wolfgang's advantage. We will go through the Bodhisattva vows. And so if you've taken yesterday, which you all did, you can th think of it as renewing it because it goes into more detail. It's from a ceremony that His Holiness gave. And when you give it in isolation as just a Bodhisattva vow ceremony, it, it takes longer, it's more extensive, and it's much more moving in a way. But it's, it's very nice, it's more detailed. So we'll, we'll repeat that, we'll do that this morning. And it's got a bit more detail in it. So to think of it as uh, getting a blessing, it's my words, but getting a, it's directly a transcript of a ceremony His Holiness gave one time years ago. <coughs> so we'll do that. And so those of you online who weren't here yesterday, who do want to take the Bodhisattva vows, this is your opportunity. And then we will do the empowerment with His Holiness is probably a couple of hours altogether. A couple of hours altogether. So the preparation basically for, say for example, Wolfgang who missed yesterday would be anyway taking refuge the lay vows and the bodhisattva vows and that's in a sense that is a preparation so he's not missing anything in that you can still today you can take the empowerment or any one of you can simply take it as a blessing which means you don't take it as an empowerment which means you don't need to take any vows so if you've taken the if you've taken refuge lay vows bodhisattva vows then you can take the empowerment if you haven't or even if you have you don't have to take the empowerment you simply sit there and take it as a blessing, feel his holiness presence and his blessing. And there's no thing, there's no need to have the vows if that's the case. Because, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, a little bit more of the preliminary practices that, per, or the prerequisites for a person entering into the Vajrayana. And this is an empowerment by definition, it is the Vajrayana. So I want to talk a bit about that this morning or this afternoon or this evening, depending where you are, middle of night in America, about that first. So let's uh, sit that we're sitting here together all over the world, as well as in this room in Noble Park in Melbourne with the racing cars behind. You can't hear them, but we can hear them. <laughs> is it, what's it called, that place? Sandown Park. Sand is a famous place. What kind of cars? Uh, I don't know. It's not, the, it's not the fancy not 10 million, one. 20 no. million dollar cars. No. no, I don't know. They're probably, a, they're probably Porsches. They're probably Porsches or they're yeah, fancy cars just down the road. You can hear them here. Yeah. But also this town, this, this suburb of Melbourne is famous for where they bury people, where you get burned and get buried. <laughs> The dead people. <laughs> is it, what's it called, that place? Springvale. Springvale Crematorium. No, it's no, famous. They've changed the name. To oh, what? To Springvale Botanical Gardens. It's, it's now just... called the Springvale Botanical Gardens. You still get burned there. You still get burned <laughs> and buried. They're just more posh. Probably they've got a cafe. Everywhere in the world has a cafe <laughs> now. They do have a cafe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've been there. We went there. Yeah, cafe. So you've got to monetize even a crematorium. <laughs> calling it a botanical garden. That's very nice. Isn't it? it used to be called the necropolis. Necropolis, it was called once. They didn't think it was welcoming enough. It's not welcoming enough because we don't like to think about death. So who wants to go to a necropolis? But you want to go to a botanical garden yeah. and have a coffee before you bury your loved ones. Yeah. I think <laughs> out my my darling sister Jan got burned there. Oh. 
and we didn't go because we didn't they didn't care about that we just then we had a party together and i think this is my sister's because she's a fanatical sydney swans football barracker as we call it in australia you barrack for a football team and she was a fanatic sydney swans and my sister's decided to bet to have her burned in her Sydney Swans Guernsey. <laughs> and when I was at the hospital trying to sing mantras in my sister's ear without being too much of a kind of religious fanatic, all my other sisters and my brother were weeping and singing the Sydney Swans <laughs> football team song. <laughs> well, I whispered on Manny Pemi Hung in her ear. I hope she heard it. So anyway, there we go. So we're gonna first do a little requesting which is meaning we're going to offer to the Buddha a mandala, which means a representation of all the objects of the universe. So you just think of all the marvelous things in the world, pile them all up and offer to the Buddha. And we're also going to, as a request for the, these, this ceremony, these teachings. And then second, we're going to offer representations of enlightened body, speech and mind as a sort of auspicious sign for us to achieve these. It's got great meaning. So offering a statue, a text and a stupa representing enlightened body, speech and mind. So we'll do that first. So someone can sing the prayer first and someone can do it. Okay. So all of you imagine, if you, we don't have the prayer online, do we? Uh, On the screen, do we? So people can sing, sing the prayer. The mandala, there's a sim, the simple mandala prayer. Offer. Then you can all, if you know it by heart or you watch it on, here it goes. There we go. So we're going to sing that in Tibetan and then um, we won't, we might do the second one as well. Why not? The, the first one is offering all the marvelous things of the universe, piling them all up, offering to the Buddha as a request for this. Second is offering, and Lamayeshi would always get us to do this, it's called the inner offering. And as you can see, the words, I, the ob I offer the objects of my attachment, my anger, my ignorance, all my friends, my enemies, the strangers, all my body, all my resources, all my things, all the objects of your senses. So without any sense of loss, I offer these. Please accept them well and bless me to be spontaneously freed from the three poisons. So it's a nice prayer to do. We'll do both of those. You sing it. of my attachment, anger, ignorance, friends, enemies, strangers, body and resources. Without any sense of loss, I offer them. Please accept them well and bless me to be spontaneously freed from the three poisons. And would I happily accept that offer? Hiram Guru Ratna Mandala Kam Niryatayami. And I think, uh, yeah, also that, yeah, okay, 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 good. So, okay, so. That's it. So the next little prayer is the refuge, please. Refuge prayer. Okay. That's it. 
Thank you. Okay, ready? We'll do this one. I'll no. That's the wrong one. It says Jinso. We need to have Chun Yen. But it'll do. Okay, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. At the third line, you see Jinsog, which means by the virtuous karma of, of generosity and the other perfections. But we're saying instead Chun Yen, which means by the merit of listening to the teachings. That's the words Chun Yen instead. Okay. So what we're saying, I'll say it first in English, a little bit longer, so we understand what we're saying. So we're saying, we're aspiring, we're saying, until we're enlightened, we're going to rely upon the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, which we expressed yesterday. And then by the virtuous karmic seeds that I plant in my mind by listening to these teachings, as a result of these seeds, may they ripen in my, as my Buddhahood, no matter how long it takes. So then I'm qualified to benefit all suffering sentient beings. Thinking like that. Sange charan soke chognam la, jang chopadu dagni kyapsuchi, dagi chunyen gipe sonan ki, drola penche sange dropa shok. Sange charan soke chognam la, jang chopadu dagni kyapsuchi, dagi chunyen gipe sonan ki, drola penche sange dropa shok. Okay. Okay, so, you know, classically, and I didn't do it, and I should do it, and I now will do it, before we have an empowerment, before we even enter into any discussion about Vajrayana, Tantra, the most advanced level of the teachings, you know, I always use the analogy, we take the lamb rim, I've got the, the low scope, middle scope, great scope, and then you've got, then you've got Tantra, well, I like junior school, high school, university, and university level, so we, this is Tantra's university level. So the, 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 the prerequisites, the way, Lama Sankarpa presents the prerequisites for entering into any level of so-called Tantra are the, uh, initially is those early stages of practice. But the way he presents it is slightly different. He presents it as the three principal aspects of the path. So it's another way of, of, of framing, another way of labeling those levels of practice in the Lam Rim. The first one, which is the first and second scopes basically, or the wisdom wing. There's all the nuts and bolts of working on the abiding by the laws of karma. Why? Because you don't want you to suffering, harnessing your, the energy of your body and speech, and then harnessing the energy of your, you know, and that's, and then your mind, the second scope. All of that's the wisdom wing. All of that is the, is what the first, the first um, of these three principles of the path. What you would accomplish from that level of practice is what they call renunciation. So we have many vague ideas of what we think renunciation means. Well, it means giving up something. Well, the, the cliched, mistaken way we hear it is, as Lama Zobarimache says, when we hear that Buddha says, sorry, guys, you've got to give up attachment. Oh, I've got to give up my heart. I've got to give up my happiness. Because we haven't looked in precisely enough to the teachings and the meaning. No, you're giving up suffering and its causes. I mean, good Lord, who doesn't want that? So the first stages of practice are the methods for accomplishing that. But a nice way to remember, a good an important thing to remember if you're giving up suffering don't just think you're ending up with something not having something but you're gaining something with guess what it's called happiness so it's another way of saying is the first stages of practice you're giving up suffering is gaining happiness because if you've given up the causes of suffering then you obviously you, you this, is, this is the method the method the beginning stages of developing happiness that sounds more exciting to us because we want that so by, if you're giving up the causes of suffering and its causes, you have to know what the causes are. So we talked about that yesterday. Buddha's analysis would say that the things we think and do and say in the mind that are driven by neuroses, 
they're the cause of suffering. Who's suffering? My suffering. So the methodology, the very first level of giving up future suffering is give up the causes. The very first level, junior school, entry level, grade one, first <coughs> scope, is give up harming others. You give up killing, you give up stealing, you give up lying, the grosser levels of negative actions, the things that harm others. So at least you harness your verbal and physical energy and don't kill and don't steal and don't jump on the wrong partner and don't lie. There are seven little things. Okay, we take the vows where it's five things, but here there's the general instructions that Buddha gives. Then you get to the next level of practice and you begin to give up the, even the delusions themselves, you know, which, which drive our actions of body and speech. So it's very practical. But when we hear it in terms of normal religion, giving up something sounds like someone's jumping on top of you and saying you're naughty and you mustn't do this. And if you do it, you get punished. And this is just simply infantile. Like we said yesterday, one of the key things about being a Buddhist is you recognize and you begin to take as you're on board this view that we are our own boss. We create our own happiness and we create our own suffering. We don't need a creator. We do fine creating our own mess and we can do fine creating our own joy and happiness. This is what Buddha is saying. It's very encouraging to hear that we're in charge instead of being a victim. Victims blame everybody else. This is how we think. No one taught us. I didn't ask to get born. It's not my fault, we say. Buddha says, sorry, guys. Yes, your happiness is your fault. You created it. All your experiences, they're the fruit of what you have done. So demands we are accountable. So the first, the first recognition, the first level of this first of the three is that you recognize the causes of suffering. You are revolted by the thought of future suffering. And why? Because you know you don't like it now. So you 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 stop creating the causes. And the causes happen to be the grosser level, harming others, because they ripen as your suffering. So you give that up. Already you're a marvelous person, already you're more subdued just by controlling your body and speech. And then you take these layperson's vows, which are all about mealy behavior. They don't discuss the mind. Then you get to the root of it, where you get into the delusions, where you look into the three poisons, and you start to harness the energy of your attachment and aversion. The two main ones, effectively attachment is the main one in this daily life. It's rooted, of course, in the root delusion, which we, which we look into when we start to think about emptiness. But as the Four Noble Truths are, and Buddha's telling us, attachment is the main cause of suffering. This universe is a product of attachment. This body of the five senses is a product of our past attachment. We created it in an evolutionary sense. So we start to really become Buddhists when we start to work on our mind. So this is what this brings then your joy, your contentment, your clarity, your discipline. You become a more balanced, stable, content, fulfilled human being when you give up deluded actions of body, speech, and mind. You're the recipient of this. You're the beneficiary of this. This is the first of the three principal aspects of the path. The first of the three prerequisites to enter into, you know, um, the, the highest, the most advanced level, postgraduate. Then you move to the compassion wing. That's the wisdom wing. And if you, okay, if you graduated there, you're on the Theravadan path, you would then add to your practice the, the development of, of a single point of concentration. And then on the basis of this, you would realize emptiness and cut the very root of all suffering. And eventually in one life or other, you would, you would achieve your own nirvana, your own cessation of suffering and its causes. And you're out of here, baby, and you won't come back. But if you're on the Mahayana path, you will then continue to come back even if you don't need to, because you want to benefit others as well. So you add the compassion wing to the mix. You now proceed to cultivate bodhicitta, 
this outrageous, outrageous paradigm shift in the mind that in normal psychological and neuroscientific terms is a bizarre thing where you give up utterly any neurotic conventional thought of an ordinary eye and eye's needs because you're now fulfilled, blissful, amazing being and you've made this paradigm shift in your mind where now only others arise in your mind only others are your concern we don't have a way of seeing that in our culture it just sounds too weird it sounds like mental illness so the first level of vows that we talked about are the pratimoksha vows the vows of individual liberation which we discussed at other wisdom wing which enable you to get out of suffering this next lot still vows still about behavior still don't do this and don't do that but then these are in reference to not not just not harming others, but even beginning now to expand ourselves to even find a way to benefit others. More profound, more amazing, more outrageous, more shocking, and more sophisticated, more wise, necessarily. The first level is just don't. No regal room. You just control yourself. You don't kill, you don't start, you don't lie. And then you start to realize you don't eat too many bits of cake and you don't you know, buy too many things because you learn to harness the energy of attachment. And all its and the other delusions. So you are the beneficiary of this level of practice, not your naughty person. You're not allowed to have happiness. It's the, it's the contrary. This is the method for getting happy. Now we go to the next level of vows, three sets of vows. This level of vows outrageous. Still about don't this and don't that. Still about not harming others, but they're more but they're more expansive because the first lot. There is, always, there is always there is motivation for what we do, but that's not the criterion in the first level. You just don't do it. You don't kill, you don't steal, you don't this, you do your best, harness your energy. This one, what determines your breaking a vow in this one, what determines your breaking a vow in the first lot is just by doing it. What determines you break a vow in this next lot, the Bodhisattva vows, is the motivation for why you do it. This is more wise, it demands more awareness and more consciousness, more, more, more wisdom. So there are 18, as the song has mentioned yesterday, 18 root vows and then 46 secondary vows. And all the secondary vows are divided, are divided into, the, into, into various groupings of vows related to the six perfections of the Bodhisattva. So the first lot of a few of them, like the first seven or something, help you develop generosity. The next lot help you level, develop another level of morality and ethics, a second of the six perfections. The third lot help you develop patience. The fourth lot help you develop enthusiasm. The fifth lot help you develop concentration. The sixth lot help you realize emptiness. So they're related to these six perfections, to so the Bodhisattva's practice. So as you can hear yesterday, His Holiness didn't mention any of the vows as such. He just did, we did, when we took the vows, we did this short prayer and we re recited it three times. And that's the prayer anyway, when you have taken the vows, that is one of your commitments to say every day, morning and night, because it purifies, as His Holiness said, it purifies your broken vows and it strengthens your kept vows. It's a marvelous thing. To, in those documents I've sent you all, you need to study all of this. This is the content, you know, of what you're doing. So you need to know what the vows are. Because if you don't, if you don't know what a vow is, if you don't know what you've decided not to do, how do you know when you do it if you've broken it? So if you don't know that you're not supposed to, you know, go more than 70 kilometers an hour, how do you know when you've broken it? You don't. You have to know them. It's very logical. So you can just read the vows, and there are two commentaries in that text, some from Lama Zopa and Kirtisentam Rinpoche, and then some from Alex Burzin, the American scholar. They're extremely helpful to understand. And Alex has lists them all clearly in terms of which delusion is the determining factor for breaking them. It's very clear. If you don't know that, how do you know? 
So the, these vows are more expensive too, because you're, you're, you're because they're more advanced and therefore the benefit others. You can break one of it. it one, there is a vow that an, allows you to break an earlier vow if it is for the benefit of others. So you can't play with it. We can be so arrogant, oh, it's for your benefit, punch, you know? No, mind your own business, <laughs> just don't punch. So to really do something skillfully uh, with consciousness and awareness with a pure motivation that would harm another. This sounds shocking, you know? This is, and so we don't understand this component of the Bodhisattva path. We don't understand the Bodhisattva path at all. You know? In fact, we don't even like to think that, you know, yourself, yeah, you're allowed to do something mean, always for your benefit, but if somebody dare do something to us, maybe based on a pure motivation for our benefit, we don't want to know about that. No, they're just evil people. We don't like to think that. We don't like to think that's possible even, you know. We just like to think a person's bad and they did a bad thing. So we really got to understand this level of the Bodhisattva path. It's quite shocking in normal terms, you know. So I used the example yesterday, the example that, or the radical example of one of the previous lives of the Buddha. They always use this as an example of his doing a so-called negative action of killing somebody, that not only was there no negativity when he did the action because of the powerful motivation, but it actually enhanced, it, it, it hastened his Buddhahood. This is hard to understand. We need to think about it carefully. We need to, and that means we need to understand the Buddhist model of the mind. That means we need to understand the distinction between a delusion and a virtue, which is not how we talk in modern psychology. It just sounds like judgment and religion. If we don't get this component about Buddhist psychology, we don't understand the Mahayana path. We don't understand Buddhism at all, actually. Because Buddha's view of the mind is so unique, so precise, so clear. We all know the words, attachment, love, compassion, but we don't have Buddha's analysis. If we don't get Buddha's analysis, we don't understand the Buddha's teachings. This is very clear. Therefore, we cannot possibly understand how it is possible that a person with a pure motivation can actually harm somebody. Do no, sorry, to do an action that look that would normally be called a negative action. It's not, it's not it's hard for us to understand that. We don't like to think about it. It's too much for our poor minds. And that's based on the possibility within the Buddhist model of the mind of ridding the mind of the delusions. Like I said yesterday, the very word Buddha, maybe I didn't say it here, I said it somewhere else. I forget. I did, okay. So the, the first syllable, Buddha, implies the eradication from your mind of all neuroses, ego grasping, attachment, aversion, the three poisons, and all the other 83,997 of them. They're all branches of these three roots. Buddha has found from his own direct experience that that is possible. This is the job he has done, and he presents his methodology for our doing it, which is the wisdom wing. Then the second one, da, that implies the development to perfection of everything else in the mind, all the virtues. We don't talk like this in our modern psychology. But this is Buddha's view, and you've got to understand it. I'm not asking you to like it. If you commit to being a Buddhist, you'd better, otherwise you're in trouble. I'm a Buddhist, but I prefer, prefer Jung. It's like saying I, I'm, I'm a tennis player, but I prefer football. You're schizophrenic, okay? Make your mind up. Not being fundamental, it's just being clear. You know, you've got to know what you want. So Buddha, the utter eradication of all the delusions and the development and perfection of all the goodness. These words are phenomenally simple, but intellectually insane for us. We can't get our head around it. We might hear it a thousand times, we never join the dots, you know. 
That means Buddha's telling us you can get rid utterly of all the misconception of, of a neurotic self, the attachment, this demented vampire inside us that desperately only wants what I want. Every millisecond, it drives every sentient being. And then has a panic attack, which is called aversion or anger when it doesn't get what it wants. This is what drives all sentient beings. And the degree to which these run rampant is the degree to which you suffer and cause others suffering. The degree to which you have access to any of your virtue is the degree to which they are mitigated. We have to learn to distinguish between them because the entire job from this moment to Buddhahood is to distinguish between the delusions and the virtues. That's when you start to be a Buddhist, when you start to do that job. So if you can't identify anger and distinguish it from passion, if you can't identify attachment and distinguish it from love, you're in serious trouble. You'll just chuck the baby out of the bathwater. It's like you can't tell the difference between a heat, a herb and a weed and you pull a lot out. You're a maniac. You have to have wisdom, distinguish between a weed and a herb. That's not easy. I was at a teacher center one time with my nephew, who's a horti horticulturist. Yeah, he knows all the plants. He knows all the things that grow, you know? And, you know, if you've been up to a teacher, it's kind of boring and dry. Well, it depends if you like boring, dry, bush, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it's nice. It's flat and dry. And the things look brushy and kind of harsh, doesn't it? And I mean, my, my nephew, Justin, he was delighted. He's, oh, look at that little red thing. And look at that little leaf over there. Oh, you can eat this one. He was in heaven because he, he could distinguish. Because he learned it. He had the wisdom of, he had Buddha's botany. He knew how to distinguish between a, a herb and a weed and a flower and a good thing and a bad thing. I just saw vague green stuff. I had no way of distinguishing. <laughs> so that's how our mind is for most of us. It's just vague emotional feelings. We have no way of distinguishing, you know. So you have to demand, develop incredible clarity. First, by learning... You can't just look in the mind and go, there's a weed and there's a herb. You don't just look at a garden. You can look at a garden for 40 million years, but you'll never learn to know a weed from a herb if you don't learn botany. So you can look at your own mind and be so mindful. We love mindfulness. You can be mindful until the cows come home. You can be so mindful that you can even, let's say you're being mindful of your garden. You can even rep draw a perfect garden from memory because you've been so mindful of it. But you're an idiot if you don't know how to define a, distinguish a flower from a weed. You're just foolish. You memorize it, but you're an idiot, just nihilistic. So if you just look at your mind every day and don't know how to distinguish between a delusion and a virtue, you're being you're deluded. You're you're insane. You'll be very mindful, but of what? It's, it's like it's 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 not a proper it's not a it's not a proper use of that. You know, you have to imbue the mindfulness with intelligence. Aha! There's a weed and there's a herb. You will only know that if you learn the Buddha's model, because Buddha's is not Jung, it's not Freud, it's not those other ones. I'm not being fundamentalist, it's just different. Then you have hands-on doing the work. Then you can become a really good gardener. Get rid of the weeds and grow the flowers. That's the wisdom way. So now, once you've done that job down, you now can add this wish to benefit others and because you know your own mind so well, and you see others and now you're moving, you're kind of learning now to break down the barrier between self and other. Wanting to help others become conscious of their needs, what they want, what is best for them. So Tara might call me up, Rabin, would you like to come for a meal? And I'm sitting there, like I said yesterday, just kind of lazy and relaxed with my feet up. Oh, Tara, thank you, darling, another day. I broke a vow. First, I'm lying, so I could go. Second, I didn't give her the opportunity of creating the merit of offering me a meal. So we, we only ever follow what we want. Like let's say you're a vegetarian or a vegan or something or, an, or a gluten-free or a whatever the labels we have now. We just, it's normal. It sounds shocking to say this, but let's say, you know, 
Amy passes me the bread. Oh no, I don't eat bread. How rude of me. She, I just broke a vow that's prevented her from creating the merit of offering me bread. Who says I have to eat it? Thank you, Amy. What a kind gift. Put it by the table. Take a crumb. No one says you have to eat it. So it's thinking of what's best for the other person. And it's a powerful one. Instead of only what I want. We make it virtuous. Well, I don't eat, I don't eat meat. I don't do this. I don't do that. It's me. Like I told you yesterday, the story. One lama went to have a meal. The person cooked meat. The, the, the attendant said, I don't eat meat. The lama said to the attendant, you eat that meat. Someone offered it to you. Okay, you're going to vomit and die. Maybe you think twice. It's a whole different way of seeing things. You're looking at needs of others. Right now, with our attachment, we're looking at everybody else in terms of our needs. And we're craving for them to love us. So we always act according to what we think. That if we do this, they will like me back. We don't think we think this way, but that's attachment to reputation. It's the deepest attachment of all. It drives everybody from the time we're born. It's so primordial. But here, we're learning to see what's best for the other person. Not, you're not looking like a holy saint. Oh, yes, I'll take the bread for your sake, Amy. I don't eat bread, but I'll accept your gift. No. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. How kind you are. Thank you, Tara. I'd love to go for a meal. Very different approach. You have to be conscious, you know. So to the level, so that's always that story I told of the Buddha, one of his past lives. You have to take the view here that he has already got renunciation, already completely subdued his body, speech, and mind, already realized emptiness, already got clairvoyance, already got incredible <coughs> levels of his bodhicitta. You've got to take that as a given here on his path to Buddhahood, you know, already outrageously advanced. And such levels of compassion that you, it's very hard to comprehend these levels of compassion. When I hear the holy being, it's not, especially Lama Zabrache, who seems to be so radical in his expression of it, you know, he doesn't say it, he's got it. When you hear how he behaves in the face of suffering, and you look at any of the holy beings, it's hard to imagine that level of compassion can be gained, you know. We can only imagine our level of compassion, which of course is polluted by our hunger and our needs and our misery and our depression and our attachment and aversion. We can't imagine it not being polluted by delusions, you know. That's why it's so important to hear the stories of the holy beings. Hear logically too how it's possible by studying Buddhist psychology. That story is high being and one of past lives. So this clairvoyance one, just by the way, you know, the, the, the amazing genius Indians, well before the Buddha, as Dalai Lama says, these amazing Indians more than 3,000 years ago were the ones who began the investigation to the nature of self. They cultivated this extraordinary skill called single point of concentration called samadhi, or the, the technique shamatha. Ingenious, astonishing, unbelievable, brilliant psychological skill. 3,000 years ago. They're the ones who began the investigation to the nature of self. Not what we think, we white people, it was Freud. 100 years ago, he's the smarty pants one. I'm sorry, 3,000 years ago. It's how even now most modern psychologists and thinkers and neuroscientists kind of poo-hoo that, you know. No, 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 we've got the truth. So clairvoyance is a natural quality that you will accomplish as you go beyond the grosser levels of conceptuality and sensory consciousness, which are all we posit in neuroscience. We only posit the grosser levels of conceptuality and sensory, which are the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg of our capacity for cognition of the mind. These amazing genius Indians and this technique is intact, intact for 3000 years, still being practiced all over the world. 
that enables you to completely control, subdue the grosser level, to plumb the depths of the mind at the subtler level, to awaken our awareness at a subtle level. Don't think of it as mystical. This is psychology. And one of the natural consequences of this, of accessing your subtle level of consciousness, which is necessarily capable of cognizing subtler phenomena, such as the past, the future, and the minds of others. And the Buddha would say, we can't begin to really benefit sentient beings until we've accomplished this. So there's one example. Forget Buddha from the story about the Buddha. Lama Yeshe. At Kopan Monastery, our friend Harry, he was a meditator himself back in the late 70s, probably. He was trying to help one of the Sherpa monks there. I tell this story often. He was trying to help one of the Sherpa monks who was very sick and he found a doctor to help him. And he, and he told Lama Yeshi in passing, we found a doctor. And Lama just said to Harry, it's okay, he doesn't need a doctor. So Harry trusting Lama, because he's his teacher, he has to trust his wisdom. He's okay, he didn't get the doctor. So he observed the monk got sicker and sicker. And eventually the monk went up to the mountains to his Sherpa family and he died. Now that sounds like Lama Yeshi was beyond cruel, uncaring. I remember reading, I mean, re in reading in America in an Australian story about the family, whole family has been accused of murder because they didn't bring a doctor. It's in Australia. It's some, one of these, like a, a family that don't accept regular medicine, right? So they've all been accused of murder because they didn't get a doctor for this child. Well, Lama Yeshi would have been accused of murder too, but he didn't get a doctor. So what's going on? So Lama Lundruk, the abbot at Copan said to Harry, well, of course, Lama's clairvoyant. Lama's clairvoyant is a natural consequence of getting single point of concentration. Buddha says we've had it in countless lifetimes. We just didn't use it to get to realize emptiness. That's all. So we fell down the mountain again. Got clairvoyance, goes without saying, got bodhicitta and got realization of emptiness, the three principal aspects of the path, achieve them, accomplish them. So this astonishing wisdom that enables him to then do what is best for that person. So he can see clearly, Lama Lundup said, that he, if, he had, if, he had pure, if he'd got the doctor, he would have you know, um, healed the illness and his life would have been fine. But Lama could see with his clairvoyance, you have to take this as a, you know, as a hypothesis here, that the karma that he created in whatever life it was 42 lives ago, that was the cause of this suffering in this life, he would not have finished the karma. He'd have a fine life, but and then his next life would have even been worse. Whereas having the sickness and even dying, and apparently he died very well, a very you know, good death, he purified all the negative karma, next life fantastic. Now, who's, that, who's got that kind of wisdom? We don't even posit that kind. We have some level of, you know, future things, like your mother can be disciplining you, go to your room, I've told you four times, no more chocolate, and you think mummy's the worst person in the world, but she's been kind to you. She's got tough love. That's this level of tough love, at a much more radical level, because it involves clairvoyance and future lives. And we don't think like that, do we? So Lama Yishi, on his face of it, looked like, doing a heavy never thing, not caring about the student, allowing him to die. No, his wisdom enabled him to see clearly the cause and his enormous compassion and labeled uh, advised the best thing to do. That's intense. We've got to understand that that's a possibility. We don't like to hear that's a possibility because we just believe in what we see. Our views are very limited. So unless we study the Buddhist, the Buddhist teachings, the Bodhisattva teachings, this is hard to hear. You know? We've got to know this is possible. And you won't know that if you don't study the mind. So the Bodhisattva vows are more advanced. They're totally based on what's best for the other person. What's best for the other person. 
and you cannot play with that. You know, to do them properly and humbly, it's only about you subduing your own neuroses in order to be of benefit to others. So they're really powerful to have the Bodhisattva vows. And they go, these vows go from life to life. Like we said yesterday, as Alex Burson says in his commentaries, you know, a vow is, 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 a, is um, the subtle, they even say in the teaching, a subtle kind of energy that's visible to clairvoyance. And it's a way of molding your behavior. Vows are all about behavior. Vows are about body and speech, harnessing, molding, controlling, shaping your behavior. So just like I said before, when you're driving a car, you, you learn to not, you, you remember, I mustn't do this, I mustn't do that. You've got a thousand vows. You don't think of it as a vow, but you vow not to do this and not to do that. And what are you doing? You're forming yourself into a good driver. Well, here we're forming ourselves into an amazing, ethical, beneficial being. How marvelous. So instead of the instinctive thing we have, there's oh, so many vows, I can't take all those vows. Or oh, I can't be a tennis player, there's too many things I can't do. Or oh, I can't drive a car, I've got to say I can't do this and can't do that. Oh, I don't want to say that. We're like infants, you know. We understand the logic of it, psychological logic. And then, of course, remembering the point about the power of vows is such, as we discussed yesterday, the 24 hours a day that you have them in your mind stream, 24 hours a day you have them in your mind stream, you're putting atomic bombs under the habits that you're vowing not to do, and you're purifying your mind. And they're working 24 hours a day. You can't get ahead without vows. Logical, you can't begin. You, it's logical, you can't drive a car if you don't know what you're supposed not to do. It's logical, but we hear it as religious. Oh, I can't do that, someone's squashing me. Stuff like that. It's wise advice. So, the first level, just don't do it. And who's the beneficiary? You. You're the direct beneficiary. The indirect beneficiary is the Islam, as Oprah says, is the rats and the roaches. They're going to have a party because you leave them in peace. This next lot are more expensive. You still benefit because you're living in the vows, but now you're more skillful and wise and knowing more how to help others. You're breaking down the barrier between self and other that delusions have constructed, these artificial barriers. And as I only said yesterday, the key element, the key thing you're trying to do, the essence of the entire Bodhisattva path, in terms of subduing the problems, the problems called self-cherishing. In the first level of practice, the wisdom wing, the main problem is called attachment, which is this emotional hunger to get what I want. This one is a, is a consequence of attachment, and it's putting I first. We don't like hearing this. It sounds very cruel. They call it self-cherishing, which sounds like a nice term. We call it selfishness. We don't mind saying I've got attachment. We don't like to think I'm selfish. That's embarrassing to us. That's what self-cherishing is. And selfishness, putting naturally because of attachment, we put first, I, isn't having a panic attack. I's got to get what it wants. Right now with attachment, we see the entire world through the lenses of my needs. Here, we're shifting it to see the world through the lenses of others' needs, lessening the sense of neurotic little I. It's intense, it's profound. We go one step at a time. So the second, the first prerequisite in order to enter into the Vajrayana 
renunciation, which is the first stage of the practice. Now the second one is bodhicitta. So at least have an appreciation. You can't, it's not, a prerequisite is not to have bodhicitta actually, or to have renunciation actually. You have to have at least appreciation for it and an understanding of what it is and a genuine, sincere work practicing of it. And the third, of course, is appreciation of emptiness, understanding wisdom, the three principal aspects of the path. Renunciation, bodhicitta, emptiness. So without understanding emptiness, none of this makes any sense. None of this makes any sense because the essential point, and this is already indicated by saying that the motivation for what you do is the main factor that determines the character of what you do, which is the key thing about all the teachings, but especially is emphasized in the Bodhisattva path. Meaning nothing has an intrinsic nature. Nothing has, as His Holiness said, you know, things appear, but at the same time, they have no intrinsic nature. And these don't deny each other, they reinforce each other. That's what we have to learn to understand. So when we hear in terms of the two truths, as His Holiness said, you know, in terms of the two truths, you've got the way things exist finally, and the shorthand for that is they are empty of independent existence. Then we have conventional truth. Things exist interdependently. Each implies the other, but we see them as opposite right now. So when we hear emptiness, we hear nothingness, and we fall into the abyss of the great mistake, as Songkhapa says. And then we hear that some things conventionally do exist, and we over-exaggerate and grasp at it. Thank God there is something after all. Grasp. These are both misconceptions. These are the wrong views we go between like drunken sailors. You know? We're on the right track. When we hear empty, we hear dependent arising. When we hear dependent arising, we hear empty. We're moving towards the, the middle way. Middle way finally is when you're a Buddha and you cognize simultaneously conventional and ultimate. You cognize the two truths, whether it's a Vajrayana way of saying it or the Sutrayana way of saying it. That's finally the real middle way. So without renunciation, so Vajrayana, okay, what's Vajrayana? And why are these the three prerequisites? I mean, there are levels of Vajrayana, as Holiness said, different levels of ten practices too. So this is, generally speaking, four levels of, of practices in, 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 in one is called, the first one, you know, I think this is that, this, this one, this practice of thousand arm chin raising, is create action tantra, they call it. There's, an, there's other levels, and there's the one that we mostly hear about, like the four highest yoga tantra, such as Vajrayogini and Haruka Chakrasambhara and Hayagriva and um, Hevadra, Kala Chakra, Yamantaka, these practices that uh, they are, when we take those, that's when we take the third set of vows, the tantric vows. This level of tantra, you don't take tantric vows, but a prerequisite is to have the bodhisattva vows. And a prerequisite of the bodhisattva vows is the lay vows, which His Holiness gave us yesterday. There's levels and levels. You know? So why are these three, three levels, why are these three principal aspects of path a prerequisite? Because the tantric level is the most advanced psychologically, the most sophisticated level of Buddha's teachings. Various ways of describing it. One way is, I mean, Lama Yeshi always, from the time he first met hippies, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, he somehow intuited that we're, we're super intelligent, we're very educated technologically, you know, very clever minds. And because our world is so degenerate, so much attachment and so many things available, and just kind of we're drowning in delusions, drowning in the, the world of attachment. 
that we're more open to the possibility that we can transform energy, that things don't have an intrinsic nature, that you can utilize poison to turn it into medicine. This is concept of transforming something from one thing to another. So you taught very simple principles of tantra to us. So one way of describing the levels of practice, if attachment is the main problem and the delusions that follow, then the very first levels at least don't follow them, control the servants of the delusions and don't harm others. Next level is get to the delusions themselves and try to calm them down and understand them. Next level, you know, so attachment in terms of attachment, just leave the cake on the plate, first level. Leave your hand in your lap and the cake on the plate. First level of practice. If you're driven by attachment, your mind goes berserk. Next level, you've got a bit of, you've harnessed your body and speech now, to a degree and now you can begin to taste the cake without going completely berserk because you understand attachment now you're not totally in the thrall of it you could say you get to the body subtle path your compassion is so tremendous that it overrides your compassion and you happily eat cake for the sake of others without going berserk you can say like that and the most advanced level you're actually able to consciously proactively eat the cake in order to activate detachment in order to, cut, to activate the joy and bliss that is triggered by contact with an attachment object because you're able to utilize this and transform it into the path through enlightenment. They're the words. Understanding them or not is another discussion. But it's a more sophisticated level of practice and it therefore demands. In other words, you, they talk about the analogy of using weeds for poison, using the poison, like using, you know, well, they're not alchemists, so they talk about like people who can utilize poison for, 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 for medicine, right? Well, who's the only person who can utilize poison for medicine is the person who knows what poison is and knows it deeply and sophisticatedly and they know how to transform it. A person who doesn't understand poison will just die if they eat poison. So a person who doesn't understand attachment by following attachment, they will just destroy them. So you can try to understand what it is first. Control the, the servants of the attachment, leave the cake on the plate. Then just control the attachment, then add bodhicitta, now realize empty, understand emptiness and know there's no intrinsic nature and you can, you're capable enough to now to utilize all this energy. So Tantra, in one way, if you look at all the Buddhas, the, all these different Buddhas we see in Tantra, all the different, you know, there's Buddha in the Sutra teachings, and that's Shakyamuni Buddha, the monk. That's it. There it is. There it is. That's, no, that's, that's there he is. There he is. Looking like a nice holy person. Look at him. There he is. Control body, speech, and mind. Control your body, control your speech, and control your mind. That's the essence of the of the Sutra approach. Now you've got the Bodhisattva one, and then you have the Tantra one. And there are all these other ones, thousands of them. And all they are are manifestations, visual representations of different qualities of mind. So you've got, you know, you've got a little kind of family tree here. Someone's mentioned yesterday. Someone's mentioned yesterday. We've got Dharmakaya. We mentioned that when we did refuge. We've got relative, absolute Buddha and relative Buddha. So absolute Buddha, another word for it in Sanskrit is Dharmakaya. As someone has mentioned, we call it the truth body. The tr they refer to the Kaya's, Kaya's tr body. This mind is the pure, unmanifest, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-compassionate, all-wise Buddha mind. That's the Dharma Kaya. There it is, Buddha. Now, we can't, we can't access that. So these kind beings who have accomplished Buddhahood kindly manifest as the, in the Rupa Kaya. There are two bodies, the Rupa Kaya, form body. And there's two of those. One is Shakyamuni, the Sutra approach, and one is Vajra, uh, Vajradhara for our, for our tr tradition in the Tantric approach. I remember when I first met Lama Yeshi, first met the teachings, and I went to Kopan and I went straight to the publishing room and started typing the prayers. And we did Gestetna and Ronio and all those things. Remember Gestetna and Ronio? Old people remember those. Well, we, we did it was before photocopying, before 
other things. So you had a stencil, a piece of wax and you typed on it and it went through and it and ink, got inked and then it went onto the paper. It was a way of duplicating. It was called a duplicator. So I was typing away and I kept coming up with his name Vajradhara and I liked him. Then I kept coming up with this person called Dodgy Chan. I liked him too and I discovered he was the same person. I was so happy. I'm a Sanskrit, one was Tibetan. I just liked the name. I kept thinking, who is this Buddha, you know? And I asked Lama because Lama would pop in and check up on me every now and again while I was typing away, when I was, before I became a nun. And I said, Lama, who's Dodgy Chung? And he, instead of giving this intellectual tantric, blah, blah, two body, blah, blah, this, he said, he's the biggest Buddha, dear. I was so happy I liked the biggest Buddha. I was so, I was so <laughs> proud. I liked the biggest Buddha. I loved. So that's Vajrajara. He's the boss Buddha in tantra. He's the tantric aspect. So that's the difference. So this is where you, this is an indication of this transformation level of tantra. You see the Shakyamuni, controlled, subdued, disciplined. Tantra, these kind of wild dudes, look at them. 14 legs and 14 arms and crazy ones and peaceful ones and happy ones and, and sexy ones and violent ones, all these different, and all it is is all it is is psychology. There's there's Mandrushi over there holding a sword that cuts through ignorance. There's Tara, this gorgeous naked green lady with delicious little breasts, or big breasts, better. And she's <laughs> she's a manifestation of power and action. Every single one of them is simply a visual representation of a certain psychological quality that either you want to purify, you want to get rid of ignorance, you practice Manjushi, you get some wisdom. You want to stop being weak and miserable and self-piteous, you practice Tara. She's powerful, action, energy, get on with it. Good name, Tara. Your parents are very wise. Mm -hmm. Action. And she, she's action energy. Cut through the obstacles. Get things done. That's action. You want, you want compassion, you practice Chenrezig. You want to purify attachment, you practice Vajrayogini, this gorgeous naked red lady. She is the manifestation of the transformation of attachment. So Vajradhara then over this, so he's the, man, he's the kind of the, the main one. And then the, under him are the five Buddha families. And each of those Buddhas is a manifestation of purified delusion. So for example, Amitabha is the, Amit is the desire family, the attachment family. He's the manifestation of purified attachment. So Vajragini is in her family, Tara is in her family, Chenrezig is in her family, his family, sorry. There's all these different families. And it's just psychology, it's just groupings of qualities psychologically. That's all manifesting these different lovely looking ancient strange looking ladies and gentlemen. So it's just brilliant psychology. And so one of the aspects which Lama tried to get us to understand in the hippies, said you people don't even know how to be happy. You know how to be miserable. So the whole idea in Tantra is once you've subdued your body, speech and mind, harness your crazy self-pity energy, harness the attachment and the anger and harness your behavior and don't harm others. You, you become more joyful. So you enhance that even more by having compassion, become even more joyful and more marvelous and more kind. And you enhance and you utilize this joy and compassion to the nth degree in the Vajrayana. It's a quick method for completely ridding the mind of all the delusions by utilizing these energies and turning them into the path. Now, without renunciation, without bodhicitta and without emptiness, this is an insane concept. You can't understand it. So these are the three prerequisites. You know. Okay, that's preparation. Any questions? What do the, the Bodhisattva values yet? Any questions about all that, people? Any questions? No, if you're not, if there are, that's good. Any questions? It's just a general presentation of the three prerequisites that, you know, we talk about getting your mind. So it really means understanding psychologically the point of these three levels, psychologically understanding them.
We say that all the time in our culture because the Buddha didn't say the word psychologically. It's just a, a Greek word, right? We use it as a verb and a noun and a, an adjective. We would have framed things differently. That's all he's saying. He didn't speak Greek for God's sake. <laughs> so, okay. No questions. That's fine. So I think we'll go through then the ceremony. It's just based on um, the ceremony His Holiness gave. It'll take about 40 minutes and then we'll do the initiation with His Holiness, okay, people? So you Americans better get ready for it. You want a quick nap? We'll have a break in a minute. You have a 20 minute nap at midnight for you people. Maybe no Americans are in there. Maybe they've all gone to bed. Who's here? Lou's, oh, yeah, Lou's always there. Lou's there 24 hours a day. Well, there's Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Happy to see you, Kevin. Very happy to see you. I'm, I'm here. Get a good nap, everybody. Dawn is there. There's good. And Don is there. Don, you're there, honey. Yes, I'm here. Oh, that's good. So I'll, I'm, I don't want to be nervous and go too quick because I'm worried about you Americans. That's up to you guys to decide, you know, so you can, whatever. So we'll just do it nice and try and do it nicely. Um, what time is it? Two o'clock. I think we have a quick five minute break. Now we'll have a break now, then we'll do the 14 minutes, we'll have another quick break, and then we'll do the empowerment. Okay, darlings, is that all right? Everyone happy? Good. So have a quick five, seven minute break, and 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 uh, then we'll do the Bodhisattva vows. 40 minutes, repeating his holiness, and it's just reinforming for those of us who did yesterday, it's, it's taking them again, renewing them. And for those of you who missed out yesterday, it's taking them for you. Uh, so Aaron, though, did you take did Aaron, have you taken the lay vows or not, Aaron? Aaron. I have not taken the leave. So you're gonna you're gonna miss out then, darling. So I'm not gonna take the leave. I'm not gonna do the. Well, I might just quit. No, another time. You just do it as a blessing now, Aaron. I think it's okay. That's all right with you, and we will do it again. Don't worry. Okay. All right, sweetie. Of course. And I know that Wolfgang has got the vows already. He's got the. You got the lay vows, haven't you, uh, Wolfgang? Yeah. Okay. So it's so, be seven minute break. All right. Seven minutes will do. Mm -hmm. Then we'll do the body vows. Then we'll do the empowerment. Okay, darling. Thank you. Thank you.